Hello, welcome to the I Want to Meet Nikola Tesla podcast. Today I have a very special guest, Tio. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? Good. I'm, I'm glad to be here, Nicola. Thanks for inviting me on today. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. So today I wanted to talk to you about Bitcoin. And did you want to share with me a story how uh, Bitcoin has changed your life or changed the way you look at money? You know, I think the concept of some of the some of the D words here, distribution, deflation, and decentralization are important things to understand. And whether you look at it from the direct category of Bitcoin offering decentralization through its ledger protocol. So instead of any specific place, like I don't know how well your audience knows, you know, what Bitcoin is is or how it works, but from a broad perspective, technology in general is moving in a, in a wave of deflation, which means that things should technically get cheaper and producing them should be easier. You know, as a, just as a simple concept, you know, I, I had worked in, I had started offshore businesses when I was quite young um, and moving money around the world is not an easy thing to do. You know, opening a corporation, keeping your bank accounts in check every year, you have to pay for new, new corporate renewals, uh, do all your accounting, which, I mean, there's some sensibility to all this as well. But in terms of how long it takes to get your money sometimes, like, I don't know if any of you guys have ever sent a wire transfer of $10,000 and above across multiple borders. It still takes three days. It doesn't even make any sense. Like, I could fly there with the cash quicker sometimes. Like, I'm just going to get on a plane. I could get, that doesn't make any sense in a digital age. So Bitcoin, you know, if we kind of just I guess, skip over the tech stuff for a second, it allowed just that ease of transaction for uh, borderless payments is such a huge deal, especially in the SWIFT, world as well where we're used to sending money and it taking three days costing x amount of dollars and all these other loopholes to jump through you know the the little guy is always who gets pushed out in models like that i was having a conversation and, and this kind of veers off into a direction uh, not directly related to bitcoin but again what we have to i think what i think is important is understanding that technology is inherently deflationary like bitcoin and technology inherently creates distribution and decentralization like Bitcoin. Bitcoin just found a way to build some of these concepts into its protocol. So for instance, right now, the fact that we can jump on Zoom and it's going to go up on YouTube and Spotify, you know, it used to take a, a massive amount of money invested into distribution through, you know, we own a, a like a radio station or a television show and the film crews and da 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 da. It was vastly more expensive. So as tech gets cheaper and cheaper, the average level of entry is is brought lower and lower so anybody in africa right now with a, like a pretty decent cell phone can start a youtube channel they can share their voice and they can share it around the world you know even though youtube is inherently centralized to some degree or another it's decentralized in the ability to offer anyone those tools and that tool set so bitcoin does that for the financial sector as well so what interests me the most is not just bitcoin but this entire wave of deflation and distribution as well as decentralization and technology which means that this is putting the hands or the power back in the hands of the people who should be more in control of their day-to-day -day lives you know i'm not a big conspiracy theorist but i can see why people would potentially get upset about something like id 2020 or using the blockchain for identification there's so many avenues that the underlying technology that Bitcoin has in it will change. Uh, multiple sectors will never be the same over the next decade. Um, and 
if you start to look at it again from that broad perspective, this changes our entire landscape for or business, for governance, for, uh, for yeah, banking, finance, social media, ownership of data, um, ownership of identity. These are huge areas of, of vital importance. And I think we often overlook those things and their importance, and especially our ability to a, own it ourselves and or B, at least control it. Now, technologies can always go one way or another, right? You know, you build a, a hatchet because to like you want to build a house, but it's just as easily turned into a weapon of violence. And, you know, as much as I love Bitcoin and this technology, these things have that inherent potential as well. So for me, what excites me most is the cautious optimism that with building under, um, you know, I guess more of a conceptual heading here, instead of just being focused on money, we can actually provide tools that are valuable for the um, uh, disenfranchised or the, you know, the people that have been kind of pushed to the bottom because those are, that's where so much of our intellectual capital is locked up. It's like three point something billion people on the planet who are probably a heck of a lot smarter than I am, but just don't have access to those tools, like simple things like identification. And, uh, you know, I, I want to, I want to drive that one home because, I think people don't understand, you know, uh, what, what country are you in, Nicholas? Sorry, I didn't ask. I'm in, I'm in Australia. Okay, so you and I, we, you know, we have citizenships from countries that are pretty decent, right? Where even if right now, like if you were at home and all of a sudden there was a, a, a massive event, like your, your house burned down, you lost your birth certificate, your identification, even you as an Australian citizen, if you lose all of that ID, it's actually pretty difficult to go and convince the government that you're, you're like you're a person again, right? Yeah. So for people in these other countries that don't have access to bank accounts and or identification, this whole thing field of capital, it is inaccessible to them. Borrowing money, um, being able to take out uh, you know, a loan off a business idea, the, the blockchain and other technologies like this allow us to basically open the doorway to all this immense inter, um, um, international uh, human intellectual capital that's been locked up because the tools just don't get to they don't extend everywhere yet. You know, a lot of it has to do with the financial sector. Um, I, I, I get a little bit of an argument with myself sometimes about whether it was malicious to just print money and whether there's this big overarching conspiracy to control the world um, because it's very easy to get to see how, you know, printing money at an inflationary rate is negative for the, the bottom guy. But I think the other thing that's important to understand is that we've gotten a remarkably interesting life that we would not have had had we not unlocked and gone off things like the gold standard. You know, I'm not a proponent for doing it, but increasing all that debt moved our technology forward at such an exponential rate that where we're at now is I think we need to really start embracing deflationary technology, realizing that over time, the border, the barriers to entry should always be lowering. The cost of things should always be coming down. That's like, that's what I think the hope of, of technology should offer. So, Bitcoin for me, what's really exciting about this technology, cryptocurrencies in general, is that it, it should offer the, or at least on a more broad spectrum basis, the average user to take control of not just their financial, but their um, identity interests and build something here that is not necessarily reliant upon a central structure like government. Now, we, again, there's, there's all, so many arguments to the pros and cons of centralization versus decentralization, but just looking at what Bitcoin provides, you know, I, I don't necessarily get caught in any um, maximalist ideas here. I just like, 
I'm mainly invested in deflationary technology and decentralization, which is basically a, things like cell phones being able to upload YouTube videos. I think that this is what what we need as a species to really move on to the next step. So that's what's most exciting to me about Bitcoin. Another long-winded answer, but you're, I hope we get that, used to those. <laughs> no, that was perfect. Thank you so much for sharing. And one thing that I picked up on from uh, why you're so passionate is it's like a uh, it's kind of like a democratizing technology, isn't it? In the sense that uh, all of a sudden it, allow, it allows even me to connect and transact value um, to you um, all the way from Australia. If we wanted to make a business deal, it makes it way easier. I mean, I wouldn't even know how to do it otherwise. And unlocking potential like that. I mean, even thinking here, the, the local um, banking system here in Australia, because it's a public holiday on Monday, if I wanted to send some money to someone, even in Australia, I wouldn't get there till like, uh, probably like Tuesday or Wednesday. And that's just like crazy in the, this day and age where like, we're so connected. Um, and the, the, what you were talking about, the, the identification as well. Um, I think that's a, a very powerful thing. And I'm speaking of Australia, that's another thing I'm starting to see the state governments here doing um, sort of the, because everything now is um, through our phones, right? Um, so the the they're replacing like your I instead of having like a driver's license card, they're giving people apps. So we're already sort of um, going into into that direction, and it's uh, it just seems like for me um, since we're moving to this sort of digital world, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of maybe concerns I have um, in terms of it um, being done in a centralized way. So for me, uh, why Bitcoin excites me so much is um, it's like we can go into this sort of digital world and retain our sovereignty and our privacy. Yeah, there's a, a, a big mismatch in terms of value here that I think uh, what really first drew me to these topics was when I was younger, I started studying. So for those of you that don't know, this is a really abstract field of study in, in, in law. And you can look, you can look this idea up and you can, if you have a really good lawyer, you can get into conversations about what this looks like, but there's always been a question of sovereignty. When you're born, you're basically sold to your government uh, for future debt payments in the bonds that they're paying back, et cetera. So right out the gate, the reason why your name on your birth certificate is in all capital letters, and this is where it's, it, we're in a kind of a dangerous territory, is that you've legally uh, sold your, you, who you are and your identity to, to the government so that you get to be a citizen. Like, you know, your driver's license, your passport, those are not your documents. Those are technically government docu documents that are issued to you to use. Right. So it's not you. When you write your name lawfully, it's only written with one capital letter and then all lowercase. Whereas on all of your identification, it's always written in all capital letters. And there's a reason for that. It's because your all capital letter name is a different version of you. It's really hard to express this, but this happens in most countries. And not again, for, for benefits that all of us enjoy, having a Canadian passport means I can travel quite, quite easily. Same with you with an Australian passport. The downside is, is I don't think people realize the level of our own sovereignty that we give away when we choose to do things like that. And what has not yet been set yet is the precedent for no one asked me when I was 18 years old if I had not then consented to their taxing 
end um, controlling of my rights based off their laws. So I've never been given the opportunity as a consenting adult to accept these these ideas. Like, so th what's the alternative? I mean, the only other real alternative is walk out into the bush and build a build a cabin out of logs and live with nature. And you are given that opportunity if you really want to. It's incredibly fucking difficult, but it's possible as people have done it before. But if you want to play in the beast world, and that's what I like to call it, you know, the, 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 the devil's playground, you're going to probably need to end up in the future getting things like, and I hate saying this, but uh, ID, vaccination, immunity cards, because the, glo the global sphere is having a conversation that a few very few people understand and the depths to which you you need a fair amount of education to understand those things so that's what really started to worry me right out the gate and that's why i was you know these, these are the things that attracted to me to bitcoin is that there is was no central government issuing um this currency it was being created out of work in the digital sphere it was tangible via mathematics so it holds a lot of hard money properties that I don't think people understand. Like, oh, you can't tangibly hold Bitcoin. It's like, well, yeah, I fucking can. The same way I can have physics in my mind to build a jump that I know if I have X amount of speed, I will continue over and land on the landing ramp, right? Very few people recognize the tangible quality of mathematics in practicality. And Bitcoin is based off practical, tangible mathematics. So again, what's important here is that when, you, when we look at how we're basically sold as kind of debt slaves to our government. If we really want to go back and disrupt this system, you have to go all the way back to the, like your birth certificate. And I don't think most people are willing to do that. I don't think most people are willing to go out and build a, themselves a, a hut in the bush and live there for the rest of their lives. All the power to, if you do that, that's probably a much more divine way to live life. But if you want to play in this game, I, do, I think the opportunity to exit was a long time ago for us. We needed to be arguing like 30 to 40 years ago to get rid of our birth certificates and to allow open borders. And we, the problem with something like Bitcoin is that, yeah, you're, where I think you're leading into is this, it could lead us into more tyranny and more technocratic control to some degree or another. Because what's to say that they can't, they can't just turn your accounts off, your identity or your bank accounts. Now they can't do that with Bitcoin, but what's to say that they can't find other means to do so? If they arrest you, uh, if they arrest you, and their army is bigger than you, and they can, they, you, you, we forget that our own human life is, is, is paramount to money. So what if, so, in this case, so well, you own your keys, you own your storage. It's like, well, what if you have a bunch of money on hand? What now? You're vulnerable to threats from people wanting, like maybe like a mob boss or a drug dealer, right? You're more prone to torturing. So. You know, you, all of these benefits have negative side effects. Everywhere we walk down the road with, with technology, we're going to have to deal with a very difficult potential playground, which is that these tools, even though we have, we're reaping the benefits of them now, just the way, the way I was reaping the benefits of a, of, a, of a passport where I could fly around the world as a Canadian, I've sold away my rights. And not only that, to some degree, I, I've let go of the freedom of of who it is I am, because now I'm, I'm, I've legally signed off to abide by whatever dumb shit laws they put in place. So for instance, in Canada, it was like, don't, well, and money countries, like, well, God is illegal. It's like, but that doesn't, how the fuck is a plant illegal, right? I had yeah. no say in joining this allegiance of, of, of brutality, yet right from the get-go, as the day one that you're born, this is what you're born into. So getting rid of that is a very difficult concept. I, I you know, I, I feel fairly strongly that I don't think we can necessarily change that story. So 
the best thing to do is fucking ride the waves like and enjoy what's being brought to you. So the, the future of Bitcoin, the future of this technology could will yield immense results for those entrepreneurs and those uh, savvy in, investors who realize what this space offers on the long term, which is that there is a global borderless payment system that operates 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And not only that, it has speculative assets that you can trade it against that also run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and nobody can stop it. That in itself, like the fundamental experiment that's taking place with Bitcoin and other currencies like Litecoin, etc., it, it's very difficult to explain how yeah. cool that is. <laughs> yeah, we could but easily take it for granted. Yeah, I think I think we do. You know, I think the maximalists. You know, I don't again. I don't know how well um, some of your audience knows Bitcoin, but things like Litecoin. You know, what's interesting is that I'm a big fan of Litecoin. Go on. (laughs) Yeah, Digibyte two up over 180 percent in the last two weeks uh, versus Bitcoin over 300 percent versus the U.S. dollar. We need more than just Bitcoin because that's what decentralization means. That's what distribution channels mean. It means you need more than one. You don't just have markets. You need everybody should be able to make the choice, right? So I actually look at Bitcoin more as like a beanie baby. I see this as an and there's a select group of them that made. They all have the same technology. Like under the hood, as far as I can tell, and people that are actually in, in tech and code would argue the shit off against me here. I'm sure, but it just looks like the same Beanie Baby. You know, they're, they're all technically augmented. They're different. Yeah, I can tell that they're different, but this the same fundamentals. You know, And I had this conversation the other day. Like, the engine is still an engine, regardless if it's got a carburetor or a turbo on it. These are just add, add-ons, but the, the combustion engine, even the diesel is relatively similar. They're using compression and heat and expansion. So same concept, right? If we look at it from a much broader perspective. So for me, I look at these things as a much broader scope. So you want and need multiple choice, not just for for the free markets to be able to choose what they want, but for, I mean, for people and government, yeah, for people to choose. I mean, these might not even be someone that's considered in the market necessarily. They they may not care, but their ability to choose something is um, the value of expression. And I think that these are the fundamental rights that we kind of give away on a fairly frequent basis. And to, I mean, to draw it back to the idea of plants being illegal, you know, I've, I've always thought that it's kind of stupid for us to argue for the medical aspects of these plants, because that's a much harder sentiment to prove. And just argue for the fact that this should be based off freedom of expression. If you want to do some dumb shit and cut half of your skin off in tattoos or piercings, we let you do that. We let you get blind drunk. So why not give you the freedom of expression to use whatever money you want and whatever financial institutions you would like? And also, I think more importantly, the freedom to make mistakes that might cost you huge. And this has always been the difficulty, right? As soon as we do stuff like this, we allow the small percentage of people to come in and complain that they got scammed because they didn't do enough research and da-da-da-da-da. Well, what happened to just letting these motherfuckers get scammed and letting mistakes be mistakes turn into lessons that are valuable to you and then you don't do again because it actually cost you in consequences. So this is, I mean, the tricky part here is every time we look into these conversations, you're dealing with so many people that there's no one way to properly govern society. I think what would be most beneficial is if we move into a more municipal-based um, if you want, if they want to smoke weed, like all of Western 
North America smokes ganja, right? From British Columbia all the way down, probably to like to, to Texas or like just on the corner of Texas and Tijuana. Like I can't imagine that it stops on the North Coast. Like it just probably keeps going without the border. And uh, these types of municipal choices should be governed by the people, not by someone who's in the middle of the country. And, and this is kind of the downside to something like the United States or these bigger bodies. Anytime you have something big, as soon as it starts to fall, it becomes corrupt and it, and it breaks in that process as well, because it's too big to look after the individual. And what you have then is a very small select group of people whose voices can be heard amongst the rest of the individuals. Every time you go smaller, each individual has more, I guess, kind of power to communicate what they would like. So, you know, the, the real hope is that we do find some type of better governance systems, better financial systems to make life a, a better for everybody. Because as soon as one of like, as soon as the guy, like the guys at the bottom of the pyramid, um, for what, for, for better or for worse, um, start to want to revolt everyone else becomes the target because everybody else is in technically a higher class than the bottom right that might be three or four like you like you got and there's a lot of people that live really good lives that are are not at the bottom but make a hell like very small amounts of money right they still have a home they have kids they've been like my got my gardener gangster right i'll use jesus as an example jesus is a fucking gangster guy has 84 hectares of properties like 160 acres of property here in costa rica multiple water sources like goats cows chickens like everything right so much food and well-being yet he's working when he works when he comes and works on my property i think he makes like three or four dollars an hour four dollars an hour it's hardly anything but he's one of the happiest people i know so I think the the most important part of these conversations is how do we find the well-being of our of our individual selves to be happy with the wealth that we have because he's not happy because he has all this property he's happy because he loves going out into the jungle and working like he comes he gets excited on he's like he's that nice I got a weekend free that I can take off to go work at my place like what the fuck is that he's just he's just helping me cut down trees and and vines but he he there, there needs to be an internal reflection of wealth for us to move forward as a species. And what I'm hoping this pandemic does when enforcing people to go back to kind of a, a more simpler lifestyle is really evaluate what's important to them, their family, their relationship with nature, their uh, creative practices and studies, because inevitably what we're moving into, and, and this is what I, this is my, again, my optimistic, my optimistic caution, throwing aside all the negatives that could happen with what we're building here is that we offer people the opportunity through deflation, the ability to go back to what they are interested in doing before someone told them they had to make money for a living and just pursue their interests and passions and what brings purpose to their life. That would be like my, like we're doing a good job guys. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's where I hope this technology takes us. Yeah. Th thank you so much. There's a lot to unpack there. And I agree with you. I think uh, our, our baseline, and that's sort of what I've been exploring on this podcast is like, uh, first health for me was like, I've had problems with my health. And I've, uh, I've had issues where I've sort of been just sort of stuck in a cycle and sort of dependent on like a healthcare system that was just uh, not really solving the root cause of the problem, but just sort of treating the, uh, the symptoms and I was just sort of caught up in the thing. So now that like I've got my health, I think the next step for me to think about and explore is like uh, 
uh, sort of the having taken care of my finances, like you were saying, so I can uh, so I can live life that uh, I'm spending more time focused on my passions and what I'm excited about. And that's exactly what um, I'm excited about this technology for. And that's why I think it's the future of finance, because especially when you were talking about uh, the all these other cryptocurrencies that are around, and I kind of view that as like, it's so powerful because it's like a marketplace of ideas, right? And the market is going to signal uh, with where the money's going with like, what are the best ideas and like how people want to express themselves financially. You're still a mute. The freedom of choice and, and expression is such a, a valuable right in terms of society. We, we don't give enough um, support of those who are interested, like that go out and fail to try to produce new things. I think uh, so often what's difficult is we, it, we, we hold ourselves to the idea that people that are successful got there by being successful. They got there by making an enormous amount of mistakes. Um, and you just don't see those, those battle wounds and those scars most often because some of those entrepreneurs quit. And they don't make it, you know, they're bad idea. They die with their bad ideas. Sometimes they, they go back to a regular job afterwards because of stability. But a lot of the really interesting and fascinating things that happen in life happen in life because you're kind of out on a limb. You're in a place of unknown or uh, vulnerability is, I think is a good word for it as well, especially um, um, being emotionally vulnerable. And it brings us back to that conversation, you know, that most of this, I think that people overlook is a reflection of internal wealth. And that's really what I try to drive home with the arcane bears that once I started to work on my internal wealth, the outside world started to reflect that. Now it, look, it doesn't mean you don't find hard times. It doesn't mean people don't screw you over and, and rip you off. You just kind of move forward. Like, great. You're always running into problems. You're like, cool, great. Just keep moving. You know, I, I know, I know so many people who got stuck up or trying to like get back on what they were at through like, Oh, this, this client owes me 1500 bucks. It's like, why not just fucking move forward and find another client? Why, why don't backstep so much? People just need to keep moving forward. Be like, cool. They owe you 1500 bucks. not paying you just, just move forward. It'll end up being a much better result than you like trying to hound an old client for money that they may not be able to pay you, especially in times like this as compared with to move on and just, and keep building on those as lessons. Be like, cool. Maybe they come back five years from now. Like, Oh, I can finally pay you back. Who just, just ignore it. Move on. Be like, great continued relationships. I think too often, and that was just as an example, but too often people get stuck in trying to fix the chinks of the armor of the past instead of move forward with the strengths that they have now, which is, you know, the, the benefit of a lot of internal practices, you know, all, all the big boys talk about meditation. It's like, well, do you do it though? You're like, because if they all do it, you would assume that they're probably they have, there's a reason why it's beneficial. Yet I think a lot of people ignore that internal self-reflective practice. And those practices bring the realization right to your forefront that you are a goddamn miracle. It's a miracle that we are alive at all, that we get a chance to breathe and uh, like see and smell and touch and taste this world around us. It is just to be alive. In, is The odds are stacked against you every step of the way. Like People should be celebrating um, those things. And I think once you start to celebrate those things, once you realize, oh, wow, I'm really grateful for what I already have, People recognize that and it becomes a lot easier to move forward in business and in life in general. Um, you know, I've, I've got a podcast in about an, an hour from now with a, um, 
uh, I mean, the title, like rough title is from drug addict to CEO. And wow. he, his main idea is about being through his drug, drug addict recovery was, you know, you let's be authentic. Don't show up to the interview and be like, people be like, well, what's your worst, what's your worst thing? Don't be like, Oh, I work too hard. Be like, yeah, I was a motherfucking drug addict. You know, I did all these things wrong. Um, I've made countless mistakes, but you know, I, I, I still get up and I keep, I keep learning. I still try. I end up actually still trying to make more mistakes and being authentic. Like look how many times I failed. Like I, you know, this sentiment of the master failing more times than the student has even tried is, is that same idea. And sometimes our failures are pretty disgusting. They're, they're not good. Uh, owning, owning up to that. Like some, some of the, the first categories that we did in business, the verticals that we ran, I'm definitely not proud of it, but it, that's how I got to where I am. And I've, if you've looked through any of my old videos, I'll, I'll mention it, but we were basically doing affiliate marketing. It was ne never selling our own product and stuff like this. And this was like oh, 11 years ago. So long, it was quite young, little baby basically. Um, but the point of this is it's when we embrace our authentic selves for better or for worse, we create the realization that we've, we are a, a rich, we are rich, period. Uh, you could take everything I own away from me right now. You, uh, all my assets, all, all, well, let's, let's all my like external financial assets, not because, and then this is where, you know, I think the larger breakdown comes, you know, like, okay, well, what, what are my assets? If you take away all my money, it's like, well, I'm a very charismatic. I love researching. Um, I'm relentless in my, my focus to pursue the things that I'm passionate about. Uh, I, you know, there's a little bit of charisma even in there on, on good days. Okay. I've got a bunch of time, right? I'm young still too. So these are like, well, these are all my internal assets. And with, with just those things, I, I feel very confident that I could get back to where I was in a, in, in a very short period of time because the, the, out, the external world of wealth that's reflecting me in any way, shape or form right now is because I have a relationship with my internal self. And the better you, you, the better you build that communication of, of appreciation of kind of who you are and, and how you got to where you are, that, that becomes so much easier to make money. And people are so much more interested in associating with you because you are, uh, you, you, I guess you, you could start off with the list, right? You're, you're trustworthy, you're reliable, you bring all, all these great assets to the table, even if you have no money. You know, some of my, some of my, I've, there's a bunch of people that I know that live in the park every now and then. They're, they're great people, right? They have no access to being able to do much else with their life, but they're happy like that. And I think it's a real question is like, well, what, what's going to make you happy? Like, do you even know? And just asking those simple questions lead to a much richer life. Like I know for a fact that for me over the last two years, if I would have focused less on business and more on sitting outside, I would have made more money because I'm at a net loss to some degree for some of the other projects I tried to build and lost a big chunks of money on because I'm like excited and I'm playing around and I'm making these disastrous mistakes that cost you in, and are consequential to the way you build forward. So, you know, a, a big part of what I'm trying to do right now and I continue to focus on is less choices, but when I make them, they're going to be of much higher value to me because I can probably, I'm at a point right now where I, I can probably do more by just sitting outside in the garden and meditating. And I know that sounds abstract to people, but when you can make one or two really good decisions and then wait for a year or two, those year or two decisions could yield exponential payoffs, right? You go back to even 2016, you throw 10 grand into Bitcoin, wait 
six to nine months and then you're, you're okay let's imagine bitcoins at a thousand bucks you buy 10 bitcoin you're talking about like a two hundred thousand dollar return of investment from a um from a like a from 10 grand basically which is not that not that not that big of a deal. Well, even a thousand dollars, you got 20 grand. Well, what, what are you going to do with it? Are you going to study? Are you going to try to buy more assets? And whatever it is, the fuck that you're doing, I hope to God that you're actually interested in it and passionate about it because then you will not stop and you will always be successful in pursuing those ideas because there's, there's nothing holding you back, whether there's money involved or not. And I think once people do that, once people focus on what can I do or what do I like doing that provides something valuable to my community, whether it's through a service or a product that I can do for the rest of my life. You know, that's why one of the reasons why I started the arcane bear is just, uh, I love communicating to people. I love chatting about the wild world that's out there and uh, learning through the process of doing it too, having other people on, on the podcast that are smarter than I am in particular areas. And I, I love getting their feedback. So, you know, this, this whole process of, of kind of discovering yourself and what makes your life valuable to you is I think the most important part. And, and it, it trumps money by hundreds and thousands of percent. And everyone, at the, you know, the, I know a lot of people are like, well, you, you, it's easy to say that because you've got this, this, and this. It's like, well, it wasn't always that way. You know, when I was, um, how, how old are you, Nicola? Uh, 27. Okay, so when I was, uh, I was about 10 years younger than you are, I was 18 years old, I decided I was going to hitchhike through Central America with nothing but like a hand drum and like $1,000. So for six months, I ended up hitchhiking around from the United States into Mexico, Guatemala, Belize, El Salvador with nothing but a hand drum, a didgeridoo, and like $1,000, which is a significant less money than you should probably want to go traveling. Yeah. I would, I would uh, nowadays I look at that for like, a, that's like a weekend maybe or something, right? Like a weekend of travel. Anyways, yeah. point of this is when you, when you, when you pursue what's interesting to you, you end up in vulnerable experiences, but the, I would not have traded that for anything. Like I look back now, that was some of the most fun traveling I've ever had. Um, and it cost me nothing as in compared, like, you know, every now, like if I go fly, I have to fly business class, otherwise I'm not going because if there's business for me to be there, it should be able to equate the fact that I'm going. Um, so nowadays, you know, when, when I, when I look back and reflect, like, I'm not even sure how I could do that again. And the only way, you know, you've got to take advantage of those opportunities when you have them. And, and when you're younger, you're going to be thrown opportunities that are, what might put you in a little bit more of a rough and tumble situation. You know, I was out on the side of the road with my thumb out in a country. I didn't know how to speak the language. Like what crazy shit is that? Like, I feel so sorry for my mom and like, and my parents were like, my God, like if my kid were at 18 years old was like, I, well, I'm just going to take a drum and backpack and I'm going to fucking hitchhike. You're like, what the shit are you doing? <laughs> but it, it make, it makes sense. You, ha you, you know, you want, you need to be able to risk potentially your, your life to go play that game and explore what's valuable to you. And that process set me on a course of events that changed my life. You know, I ended up meeting a partner who had tens of millions of dollars. So I ended up going from a fucking street kid doing yoga and playing music to driving $100,000 sports cars and living in $10 million homes with my partner overnight. And what was beautiful about this too is that you, I, I realized right away, I don't give a shit about the car or the house. It's always been about that, the, like the value of the journey that you're on and the people that you share that journey with. So um, 
I can't stress that enough that, you know, if you think you're going to make a shit ton of money from Bitcoin by just in, investing quickly, really, really try to walk away from that sentiment and realize it takes time to build value in life. It will take you another 10 to 10, 15 years. It'll take me another 10 to 15 years to see some of the really fun, beautiful stuff to play out. So be patient when, when you're younger and just always keep investing. If I could go back and I could tell myself something that I, like, what, like if I were like, okay, Tia, what's one of the most valuable financial slash business etiquettes I could put into play from when I was 18. It would just be keep fucking investing. Always just invest. You got 50 bucks this week. Cool. Buy Tesla. You got 50 bucks this next week. Cool. Buy Bitcoin. 50 bucks next week. Cool. Buy Netflix. Just always keep throwing money into assets, especially when you're young and do not touch them. Right. Hoddle or as we older investors say, just invest. Look for the, a much longer out, outlook of being able to live your life. Don't think that you're going to die three years from now. Put 50 bucks in a week and you'll be absolutely amazed. And this is not investment advice, but if I were to give myself advice, that's what I would do is just keep putting extra capital in. Don't buy that t-shirt. Don't go to that music festival this one time. Buy more assets um, and, and spend more time studying. Spend more time sitting at home. Spend more time practicing what you're interested in. Um, but also don't be afraid to spend all that money on doing something stupid like going hitchhiking or maybe giving it all away. You know, when I was at that moment, I gave, I gave away a 2000, uh, like a 2001 Yamaha R6. I gave away all the extra shit. I had like computers and I was like, cool, I'm just going to hitchhike and hope that the universe takes care of me. That was some dumb shit to do. But at the same point, the invalu the, it's the value of the experience that you're looking for to know that, look, I can give all of my stuff away and I know I'll be fine. I could go to broke and I know I will be fine. There's something so valuable about that stoic lesson of knowing, look, I could live with nothing. I could fast for 30 days and live off just water. And when you do that, you, you move so much further ahead of where you were because you, you understand how much value you have every day that you wake up, every time that you like in like the sun rises and sets it's unimaginable how much wealth you know we get to partake in and it's it's just right in front of us and and it takes really i think the appreciation of it and then you start to see it everywhere pocketbook included <laughs> that was profound man i feel really grateful that you you shared that with me that was uh that was awesome and I, like one thing that i can relate to is the abundance mindset i think that that is huge um coming from a place of abundance. Um, like you were saying, it just helps you not get carried away focusing on all the little things and it just helps you um, go with the flow more and make uh, connections with people a lot easier. Yeah, there's life's value is in the experience of living. It's not in the stuff you have. And, it, and more importantly, I guess, it's in the people that you share that life with, you know, and that's another really valuable way to, to, to try to understand what's going on in your life is first off, understand that not everyone's going to be your friend, right? So there's going to be people that don't fucking like you and uh, sorely distaste you, uh, detest you, no matter what you do, like you're just, you're always going to fail with certain people. So embrace that. And, and I think what that allows you to do is understand who the real friends in your life are. Like uh, most of my friends at this point in life, Nicola, are over 50 years old because they're the only people I can't offend. And if I can't offend you, then great, we'll be friends for life because <laughs> I sometimes, I'll stand up and I will argue against what I believe in just to see if we're right or if we have any basis of truth or where we could shed some weight 
uh, on that on, on like on what we think is is correct you know and and most younger people they invest themselves into what they believe one of the best things the other the very valuable lesson i think i would share with myself is that don't invest yourself so much in, in what you believe be willing to once you recognize that what you've done is it doesn't work change drop that idea once you realize like once you realize oh look this experiment isn't working anymore this way go through the effort to change the experiment don't just keep repeating failed patterns um, in hopes that they're going to work because that's what served us before you know it's and but also so i guess if i don't remember this quote exactly so i'm probably going to butcher it but it was basically operate with like almost asshole confidence that you're right even though you you you're, you're pro you might be wrong but if you find as soon as you find out you're wrong humbly change but like, cool i was wrong let this is this is i'm opinionated about this now yeah yeah because yeah. <laughs> but you need that you need that confidence to move forward so i can you know i i want to make sure people people know that sometimes it's good to be kind of arrogant about your opinion but only in understanding that you will change that opinion in the drop of a hat once you find out you're wrong because sometimes it takes that arrogance of opinion to to let people know what's going on like i remember when i was younger and and we'll, we'll kind of we'll break out with this one but when i was younger my my partner's dad, you know, the girl, the woman that had a X amount of money. Her dad had a bunch more that you know she inher had inherited from her family. But um, I tried to tell him back in two thousand eight that real real estate was a horrible idea and and gold would be a great hedge in your in your asset in your portfolio to to balance things out in case things go wrong. In, was in this the real just estate before bubble. the crash, right? Yeah, this is in two thousand six, two thousand seven. So yeah. me and her, me and her were traveling around in. If, Ecuador t doing ayahuasca and, and San Pedro. Like, so her dad, her dad was like, well, who the fuck is this long haired hippie? I think he knows some shit about, about, about investments or whatever. Right. And, and, you know, it, it was, it was harder for me when I was younger to be like, Oh, may maybe he's right. So I like, I quieted up and I like, okay, cool. You know, but I should have been more poignant with him about what I thought because I was right. Right. But I didn't yet, I wasn't yet, capable enough to know that I needed to try to be more confident in what I thought was right. You know, and now, now, now that I'm older, I, I fucking beat the drum day and night. Like we started talking about the pandemic in, in uh, late January, we put out some newsletters warning people that we might be going into full lockdown in, in mid, in mid February. I tried to recommend everyone start wearing masks so that we didn't have to do this, you know, mid February as well. And I got so much pushback. People quoting the CDC who inevitably ended up changing their story on masks too. And it's like, look, guys, it doesn't matter. If you think you're right, hold that voice up. And what, and what I think we should, and we, what we need to do is make sure there's always room for people that are saying some totally dumb shit and obviously wrong and let them hold that belief confidently. But remind them that once they're proven wrong, they should shut the fuck up. <laughs> and own up to it. I, yeah, yeah and, and own up to being wrong there. Especially um, in, in the case of a pandemic. I mean, being wrong affects people's lives. Like, you need to own yeah. up. It's um we we've made some big mistakes here and I I haven't seen the who or the CDC own up for not moving more poignantly they they even the CDC even the who was like hey Donald Trump you shouldn't have locked down travel with China but now retrospectively we should have locked down travel everywhere day one because it would have cost us so much less and the who did not say that the who did not say hey guys this is a big fucking deal we should shut it all down now it'll cost us less because if we let this go and it does get worse a month down the line we're gonna 
to have to shut down the whole fucking world economy potentially. No, the, the who had nothing to do with that. The CDC had nothing to do with it. It was random YouTubers like me, like other people in the blockchain space, the guys like, well, this is an early stage pandemic. We should be we should be more worried, right? The panic button should have kicked in and instead we had a bunch of people that were that had no scientific background. It was all politics. And the, the WHO somehow seemed to get caught in nothing but politics, and they're not held accountable. Now, I just want to preface this by, I think, look, I've read some of the WHO's research work. They have fantastic scientists doing background work. They, but Tedros, their main like social media accounts, they fucking failed, and they should be held accountable for that. But the scientists doing the scientific work at the WHO are doing fantastic stuff. So we also need to be able to hone in on where the problems came from. The problems didn't come from the scientists that were doing work from the WHO, the people that get funded to do research in the air, this area now. Their research papers are fantastic. It's some of the best scientific literature we have about understanding this virus. Yet their, their mainstream talking bird, their Twitter account, their Tedros, their like their live streams, they failed. They failed miserably by not bringing up the fact that we probably should have been panicked day one because in a pandemic, there's so much we don't fucking know. The best choice is to go, whoa, whoa, look guys, this could fuck up everything. It could fuck up the supply chain to the point where who cares if you open your economy? You might not be able to open the economy after this. We don't know. And to this date, we still don't know. We could be dealing with airborne HIV where you might the virus might never leave your body in six months from now. If you got it after you were fine, it might come back and attack your body when you've got a secondary flu and your immune system is lowered. We don't know. And that is very dangerous to not know what's rustling in the bushes and keep walking towards it. Because every step... So... You know, the, someone needs to be held accountable for this stuff. And, and more importantly, we need open source communication because there were YouTubers who have like MedCram videos. Med, uh, I don't know if, if, if you've watched MedCram, but this is beautiful content, right? There, there was a few more. Peak Prosperity was really good. Yeah, that, I think that's that, who I, find, I found out about it from, Peak Prosperity. I, I, I think I, I love his work. I do see why people think he's like a little doomsday-ish, but it's also, we should be panicked. We needed people to be panicked at the, at the day one because, again, we still don't know. And that's not like, look, if you want to run and jump off like into the dark and you're okay with that, that's cool. But our global society is at risk here. And whether we break it by keeping everyone locked at home or we break in it with latent HIV that might infect a billion people. And like, I'm just, and that's like, I'm not saying I think that's the case. I'm just saying that could be the case and we don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and that's true. We don't know that that couldn't, like that that might not be the case. So what's dangerous there is we could, that would break our supply chain too. So either way, we're like, oh, well, we're gonna, we could break it. How do we look at this intelligently? And there were very few people that were doing that um i, I in my newsletter that came out in mid-february said okay well we should be looking at lockdowns i tried to warn everybody we, the, the stock market collapse is coming be prepared in your in your portfolio to deal with this stuff and, and i think the only way we get there is by having everyone the ability to communicate but sadly what the who should have done is the who should have picked up on some of medcram's videos and they should should have started sharing the hardcore physical data that they were getting from scientists but they didn't instead they shared stupid meme videos on their twitter account they people don't recognize the importance of sharing highly educated data which that which says scary things right it says confusing things and and i but it leads to a better educated society. So it's it's been a really big it's been a really big worry seeing how poorly you know 
we've dealt with this. But on the bright side, where I live in Costa Rica, we were locked down before the United States. It has nothing to do with our election cycle. It was just the right thing to fucking do. It was, but it was right to do months earlier when the, when the WHO was still trying to figure out if it was a fucking pandemic or a public health emergency. Day one. So it, it's really frustrating to, to see that we, we threw away all of our early stage warning for politics. I can relate with that frustration so much because in Australia, we, we were still, still flights coming in um, uh, like mid-February. Like they, they just shut down the flights like early April and it's just like, We've, we, we had so much time that before, like you were saying, just like uh, people people knew about it on YouTube. Um, and it's kind of like now we're in a situation where like the whole, it's like our internal economy is pretty much shut down. And it's like the sort of saying, like the official numbers are saying like, oh, it's um, uh, at least in my state, Western Australia, like, oh, there's, we're reporting low numbers and stuff. We can we can like start thinking about opening the economy up. But I think like things have just been so devastated now that it's kind of like, the, like we don't know what's going to happen. And talking about these, um, talking about this is, it's kind of like bringing it full circle back to what you were saying, because in, I believe it's still like in every crisis, there's an opportunity for us how to think, well, how can we uh, bring value to uh, the community around us? Yeah, our only way forward now is to learn to work together globally. Um, I, I love the Chinese people. I love the Chinese culture. I'm not a fan of the way their government works, their lack of transparency, and especially their lack of transparency during this, this epidemic. And who gave them the pass? Actually praise their government for, and we have, we still have the data of them basically gagging the early doctors who tried to fucking warn us about yeah. that. And that is unacceptable. And that's where we should have snubbed this thing out had the who done their job correctly. Now, again, I just want to make it very clear that I, I think the work that the do who is doing in the scientific field is good. I can understand why they didn't want to like, uh, they're, they're playing a very walking on eggshell game to like not screw up any governments, but who gives a fuck? That was their job. Their job was to be the early warning sign around the world for something that might screw up our global economy. And instead they chose to praise a government who enforces lack of transparency in critical moments it was it was absolutely Evil. atrocious yeah so uh, it's the, the best thing we can do now is is really understand that our only way out of this is to accept that we are we're a global species and we need to embrace everybody i think everyone all the countries will go back they'll huddle together but the next thing we need to learn how to do now is not not embrace globalization but em, embrace the fact that we're, we're different and we are as a global community right now the only way we're going to survive our next like thousand years here is if we really work together because we are in some difficult circumstances and we might be faced with even more difficult circumstances in the future like a fucking asteroid and if we don't know how to play together in the sandbox now we're going to get destroyed again and again and probably again over the next million years of our life cycle here <laughs> i agree with you 100 percent. it's more important this is like these are times like it's like we could we could play like we, we basically the way i see it we don't really have time to even play the blame game it's like yeah the who fucked up china fucked up but it's kind of like uh the, the situation we're in we, we need to figure out how to just like get through the next couple of months and i think uh pointing the finger we, we can do that like and and i think we should hold these people accountable that fucked up 
but it's kind of like uh, where we're at at the moment from where I see just from Australia here is um, we, we need to just uh, figure out how to, how, to get next, how to get through the next couple of months. Yeah, well, yeah, it's it's dangerous too. To, you know, the CEO of YouTube came out, Susan Wojcicki, silly yeah. woman that she is, decided to say that they were going to start banning videos that talk about um, alternative uh, prophylactics and cures for COVID nineteen, things like vitamin C, vitamin D, which we do know fucking help. So I'm I'm actually really really worried that these conversations are going to get snubbed out, and they're the conversations that everyone needs to, to realize we need to have. As much as I think. David Icke has no fucking clue what he's talking about. And, and even putting 5G and COVID-19 in the same sentence is, is, is bound to get yourself in trouble because it's a, it's a far off, like a totally wrong statement, you know, and, and I don't normally, let, and I don't always agree with the main body of science either, but this time he was obviously wrong. So the difficult part here is, you know, we, freedom of speech is the, the it should be the first, and a freedom of expression should be the first first line of defense for all this because it it incurs a a critical thinking society but when ceos decide to say oh we can ban content what you're what you're doing is saying effectively our community isn't smart enough to figure out what's what is true or not so we're going to do it for you and that is that is beyond failure for us that's basically giving um and again you know they have every right to do it youtube is is a is their own platform. They have to abide by the laws in multiple countries. You know, Facebook, Twitter, they have to do it. They have to abide by laws in multiple countries. So I understand why they would, but also understand, like, I just, I just hope people understand that we're on a very slippery slope right now. So making sure that you are working with your local governments, you are trying to speak up, you are researching and studying and not sharing dumb posts in a critical time. Like, don't just share a post about 5G unless you are absolutely positively sure that you are right. Like you better come in there. You better come in there confident as fuck. Like you know what you're talking about. If you have even a little bit of a lingerance that you might be incorrect at this moment, I would shut the fuck up and I would do more listening than talking. That's that's what I try to do. I'm like, cool. Like, like who's smarter than I am at this moment? Like, let's listen to them. And I have nothing to say. If they have something good to say, all I'm going to do is agree with them. Like, <laughs> exactly, because there's so much entropy right now and so much noise that uh, what's happening in a lot in a lot of cases is um, people people just uh, just contributing to that noise, even if maybe they're trying to help. Like you were saying, they're unsure, but they just contribute to that noise, and it makes things worse. And like. That's something that I think we we don't we don't want to go down the path of because clear communication uh, is more important, very important right now. Ab- absolutely. Um, I've got a call. I have to jump out yeah, here. Th- in, thank you. In, in I was just going to say. I'll just, I was just uh, about to say we should wrap it up um, because uh, we kind of got into right into the meat of. Uh, of 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 the topic started from bitcoin and the current crises of what's going on thank you so much for sharing your thoughts about uh so much uh, appreciate all of it um if if there's anything you wanted to share how people can reach you you're welcome to you get the final word thank you so much for coming on to you yeah, Nicola, for any of, of uh, the audiences made it this far, thank you guys. Uh, congratulations, by the way. You have a long attention span. Thank you for joining us. Give us those thumbs up if you like this content. Leave your questions, your comments, your thoughts down below. My name is Tio. You can find me at Arcane Bear. 
And Nicola, thank you. Again, such, I, I love being given the opportunity to chat and uh, uh, you know, go, go through and learn about what I'm feeling too because as you ask me the questions, I have to formulate and try to figure out what the hell I actually think. And, and even though I might be wrong, could be talking totally bullshit, uh, it's, it's great to have the opportunity to be able to, to try to like, you know, re really figure out what's going on in the world today.